Uh, I want to uh, get into our text in John 17 in just a moment, but I want to say a few things first about uh, why we're tackling the topic of unity and about that topic as a whole. So first of all, let me ask you, when we talk about unity, what comes to your mind? What is unity? If you could define it now, obviously, this is not a time for dissertation or a six paragraph explanation. But if you could give me like a one line or one sentence, few words, what is unity? What would you say? Sharing the same values. I like that. Someone write that down. I hadn't thought of that. Okay, yes. The same, the same thoughts, having the same thoughts, the same mind. Paul talks about that in Philippians, I think. Being together. All right, together. Yeah, good words, good ideas. Uh, yeah. Being connected. Okay. Lifting one another up. Yes. Working for the same purpose. Yes. Okay, diverse and all the other things you said. <laughs> and but working towards the same thing. Yeah. Loving each other, loving each other, yeah? No room for gossip and clicks or cliques, depending on what part of the world you come from. Yes, okay, no gossip, no cliques, okay, yes. Working together, resolving differences, even conflicts. Yeah, valuable, essential, yeah. Unity is strength. Okay, thank you. Good. I think we could sit here for a while and keep coming up with ideas, concepts, words that describe unity or define it or express it for quite some time, couldn't we? And I have not enough time or enough energy to deal with all the issues that we could possibly do deal with, with, with unity. But what I would like to say, to say at the beginning is I think unity is quite hard to describe in a way that it sums it all up. As all the things that we've said here are true, it's quite hard to sum it all up. But I do think you know it when you see it. Even if you couldn't put your finger on it, you know unity when you see it. And especially perhaps when you, you feel it. It's part of your experience. You know it. And, and so unity is a tri tricky topic to speak on, partly because it's a sort of a concept, it's just a word, and concepts are a little bit harder to make um, uh, inspiring. So I'm going to do my best today, but uh, we'll get there. Uh, but for others, I think the idea of talking about unity is quite inspiring and exciting because it's something that you know means a lot to them. But for others, there are issues sometimes over fears regarding unity, the idea of being controlled, the issues of conformity uh, come into um, our fears and our, some of us have experienced that in families, in work contexts, societal contexts, uh, racism has a play, part to play in this and, uh, and also even in religious and church contexts. We can see this played out and some of us have experienced that. So you might want to ask, why are we talking about this today? So let me, be, uh, let me share with you why. It's not because I think we have a fundamental underlying problem with disunity in this church. And I'm focusing my thoughts today from the text we're going to look at 
on us. This is not about the rest of the world. This is not about other churches, other groups. This is just about us, all right? Because I think that's where we are. We live here, right? We're together, so we need to think about our unity. If we can help other people with theirs, amen, let's look for the channels for that. And I, when we did the series on Thessalonians, you'll remember I spoke about this, that the church in Thessalonica, uh, the other churches in the area felt loved by that church. And so it's important that we pay attention to our opportunities to show love to other churches. But, but for today, I want to focus on just you know, our thinking about our unity here, because that's the only thing we have, I was going to say control over. I don't like the control word. Okay, it's not about having control, but the influence over, let's say direct influence over. So that's why we're talking about it. I don't believe we have a major problem. But here's the thing is, if we, if we don't pay attention to something like unity, it weakens. It does weaken, doesn't it? So uh, we've been through some situations that have weakened our unity, by which I mean our relationships. Do you remember what it was like when we weren't able to meet in a hall like this? Don't know about you, but my memories fade quite quickly. We're back to this, we're used to this. But I believe the impact of being separated from physical fellowship for a year or two is something we're still dealing with. Our bonds were weakened and they don't get re-strengthened to all that they can be overnight. It takes time. We're going to talk about this. But COVID has weakened our unity and it needs attention to uh, re repair it. Secondly, the Thames Valley churches are spreading and hallelujah to that spreading more widely all right i haven't put the dots on the map but you know our locations are spreading more people are living in different places there are more uh, location services there are more sunday venues there are more more things going on across the south and southwest of england and that's a wonderful thing um but it does mean that you and i see each other less often physically right uh, these the two groups that are represented here as well as Sarahita Borders as well as Dorset and other sort of smaller subgroups in Southampton and various places um, all over that, that map we're not seeing each other as often and that is a challenge to our unity plus we used to meet some of you wouldn't know this you weren't here but before COVID we used to meet how often on Friday every Friday all of us used to come together that could physically make it on a Friday we don't do that anymore maybe it's not possible it's not a criticism of the current circumstances it's just that it changes and it should change because god's at work and things change they should change but again we don't see each other as often that weakens our unity it weakens the bonds that we have uh, another thing that's happened is of course that we've had a lot of new people join us over the last two or three years uh some ukrainians of course uh, for sad circumstances but or reasons but nonetheless you know they have joined us quite a few uh, a lot of you from hong kong uh, have have joined us it's fantastic it's fantastic saying i mean wonderful uh i'm not saying that's weakened our unity i'm not going to blame hong kong all right or ukraine i don't mean that um but it, it's it, but being a unified body when you don't know people as well as the people you've known for 20 years that's another thing we have to pay attention to. Let's put it that way. And also, uh, uh, you may be aware, we've got the sort of satellite family group up in Manchester area that are connected. And there are other people in various places connected. And other people have moved here or connected in different ways online and so on. Um, again, it, the ministry, as churches grow and mature, it is inevitable and desirable. Desirable. It's inevitable, but also something that just happens 
that ministries get more complicated. And I'm looking around, and some of us have been around a while, um, you and I getting a little older, um, you know, life gets a bit more complicated. Uh, perhaps with children, adult children, then perhaps grandchildren, uh, health challenges, old aged parents and people you're trying to take care of, life, it gets more complicated. And as life gets more complicated, it has a tendency to, to weaken our bonds with one another as we take our eyes off our, the quality of our relationships because our lives are so busy with so many things. Are you with me? Maybe that doesn't, isn't your experience, but it, it certainly is mine. So the ministry is more complex and therefore unity needs maintenance. It needs maintenance, needs paying attention to, neglect it and it will die. Uh, I don't know if you are one of the people who took to making sourdough during the lockdown, uh, but you've got to feed that sourdough thing, right? If you don't feed it, it will die. It may look healthy, but it is not. Um, or maybe you've got a car, a car and you've got to pay attention to the tire pressure. If you don't pay attention to the tire pressure, it will go down and you will have problems, right? If you're lucky like me, you have a car that tells you what your tire pressures are on the, on the dash, which is rather handy, but I still have to go and put some pressure in there, right? You've got to pay attention to these things. It's a bit like that with unity. It hasn't flown out the window. It's not broken, but we need to pay attention to it. So how important? Maybe this is the question for us to answer individually. How important is it to us personally that we have, that we pay attention to and we invest in what will bring about a Christ-like unity in our relationships, in our local group? How important is it? Why do we talk about this? We talk about this because it's important to Jesus. It's not just an idea it's not just a concept that we think is a kind of a cool one, but it mattered to Jesus. And we haven't got time to do all of John 17 today, though I'd love to, but we just want to dip into, into this particular part of it and then pull out a few thoughts. So, and I've got some personal stuff to share at the end, which uh, I'm looking forward to sharing with you. So John 17, in these two verses, in 22 and 23, uh, he's praying for his disciples. And he says, I've given them the glory that you, that's the Father, gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Oh, we could spend a few weeks just looking at those two verses. But it's so powerful, it's so profound, it's so unlike any other religion. This is not like Islam or Hinduism or anything. I mean, this idea of this oneness with the God, with the Father, that he would live in us. And that that's how the world would know. This passage tells us a great deal about unity. I'd like to encourage you, because we haven't got the time today, Maybe to take these verses with you, take them home with you. Talk about them with your housemates, with your friends, with your spouse, with your kids. What, does, what do these verses mean to you in terms of what Christian unity really is? And I'd encourage you to have a conversation about that. And I will mention just a couple of things. Um, the first is this. It is clear to me that unity matters to Jesus. Therefore, it must matter to us. 
And unity is primarily relational. It's primarily about relation, relationships. It's not about the structures of the organization. Uh, it's fun to have an organization you love. I think Thames Valley on one level is an organization, and I love this church. I think it's fantastic. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we, if you watched the cup final yesterday, you saw some fans of teams being very excited about, well, one, one set of fans ended up being very excited <laughs> about the result. That's my brother-in-law, who's a, a mad City fan. Um, but you know, that kind of loyalty uh, is, you know, that's okay. But it's, it doesn't give you the kind of relational unity we're talking about here. And what we're talking about is a, rela a relational unity that is given to us by Christ or by God. It's a miraculous unity, I would say. It's on that level. It's the kind of unity that nothing else in the world will give you. No cause, no set of values outside of Christ will bring you this kind of unity, this complete unity, the unity in diversity, as you mentioned, that otherwise would not bring those people together, or at least not keep them together, especially when they have disagreements or conflicts, as Chevy mentioned, and, and, and they would break apart other people and other groups. But with Christ, it doesn't have to be that way. It's a miraculous love unity that ultimately reveals God as glorious. And that revealing God as glorious through our love unity, our miraculous love unity, will reveal God's glory and will bring people to him. It will attract people to him. We'll talk more about the mission in a minute. But, you know, you can define our mission in many different ways. But if we're not paying attention to our miraculous love unity here then all the evangelizing in the world is effectively a waste of time because we've got to bring people into something that's real a personal relationship with god but a collective relationship with god together in complete unity uh there's a book by francis chan some of you may know called into until unity and he says in the church we divide easily because we love shallowly there's some truth, isn't there? There's some truth there. How easily do we divide? Well, it's easier to divide if you don't deeply love. Because you don't feel the break. You don't feel the pain. But when you deeply love, you'll do anything to, to prevent that break. You'll do anything to repair disunity to, to, to unity. Because you feel it so deeply. If I fell out with my sister, I mean, my sister and I get along very well. But if I fell out with my sister, it would break my heart. You with me? Same thing in the church, right? In John 14 and verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. I don't think I fully understand exactly what that means. I think it's so hard to grasp. He wants to make his home with me. I, it's just, you know, we got some friends coming to stay at our house in three weeks. Penny's already setting the room up. I mean, she's already tidying and cleaning and putting, which flowers should we put in there and make sure the towels are ready. I mean, you know, she's, she's sorting all that out. I'm grateful she is. But God wants to come and live in me while I'm still a mess. Seriously, why would he want to do that? But he does. Jesus wants to do that. And that's an inspiration for us, that we can be in one another's lives and love one another despite the fact we're all a bit of a mess. So maybe you don't think you're a mess, and you think the person you're meant to be unified with is a mess, and then you can't be, you can't be united with them because they're a mess, right? Well, i got news for us all, right? 
we're all just one heap of mess talking to another heap of mess on some level. Now, of course, God doesn't treat us in that way, but we don't have any high ground to stand on to look down to somebody else. Jesus wants to live in every one of us here. If he wants to live in you, then I need to respect that and love you with the love of Christ and be united with you. That's about as far as it should go, shouldn't it? That's about right, I think. I think another thing I, I see from the passage in John 17 is I don't think unity is ever quite really complete. I think what Jesus is talking about here when he says he wants them to be in complete unity, what I mean, it depends how you define that, but what I'm going to suggest is I think it's aspirational. It's a direction of travel we've always got to be working on. Because my unity is not complete with everybody I know. And, and I think that's something I've got to continue to pursue. It's not like we finish it. In John chapter 13, a passage many of us will know well, this new command is to love one another. And if we love one another as Christ loved his disciples, if we do it like that, then everyone will know you are my disciples. So it's about love, right? There's a connection there in John 17 with John 13. It's all about loving one another. How do we maintain and grow our love? All right, a few thoughts. The first thought is this. If we're going to maintain our unity and grow and deepen it, we need to keep ourselves and each other focused on Jesus. I've told you something really radical there, haven't I? Focused on Jesus. Helping each other stay focused on Jesus. Think of the most divided church in the New Testament. Which one would you say it is? Corinthians, we all know. Those wretched Corinthians. I tell you what, if you're a Corinthian, and if you, I don't know if the Corinthians in, in the, like have gone on to the next uh, life at this point can look down and hear us talking about them, but can you imagine how fed up they are? Every time they want to talk about disunity, they bring it up, bring us up. Anyway, I hope they can't hear what we're talking about. I, I don't know if they can, but um, let's actually uh, go to the passage. In 1 Corinthians 10, in this very divided church, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, you should be unified. It's not, I think you should be unified. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, appealing that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, perfectly united in mind and thought. In other words, he's not asking them to be loyal to a person. Wasn't that the problem in Corinth? Paul, uh, Peter, Paul, Apollos, somebody else, you know, they've all got their favorites, right? He says, forget all that. Let's talk about Jesus. I appeal to you in his name. Be united. They're not going to be called to be loyal to people. Much as we may love people, we may be grateful. When people like Tim and Chevy have been here for over 20 years, most of us here have very long and deep relationships with them. That's important and really healthy and good. But our loyalty, ultimately, in terms of our unity, collectively, is not about Tim or Chevy, or about me, or anybody else. It's about Jesus Christ. That's who it's really about. It's not about positions. It's not about practices. It's not about programs. We've got to tune to the one piano. You know, if you, if you want 100 pianos to be playing together, there's actually there's a piece of music, which I studied when I was a music student, called uh, Music for Six Pianos by Steve Reich, a bit of a modern composer, and I really like it. It's really strange, but I really like it. It's an arrangement for marimbas as well, which is really cool. Look it up sometime after the sermon online. Uh, music for six pianos, and you have these six pianos all playing on these very rhythmic beats and stuff, and it's really cool. Um, but you've got to tune, those pianos have got to be in tune with each other. Right? So you don't tune one piano to another piano, and another piano to another piano, and another piano to another. You know what it's like? It's like the Chinese whispers kind of thing, right? Because by the time you get to the sixth piano, 
it's not in tune with the first one, right? So what do you do? You get yourself all tuned to the same piano. You have one piano and you tune all the others to that piano. You with me? Some of you aren't musicians. You have to take my word for it. All right. It's the same kind of idea with Christian unity. We don't try and unify just with the other person. We're trying to say, how can we be united in Christ? Like he's the one we want to be united with and in, and therefore how can we be in him? And so he remains the focus. When we start talking about unity without talking about Jesus, we've lost the point. It's about him. What would he want us to be like and do in this circumstance? Let's pray as fast about that. If we're in a conflict situation, what does he want us to do? What would he do if he were here? What would he tell us to help us to be unified? Having those prayerful, meditative, and in some ways imaginary conversations with yourself and with Christ, with one another, is going to help us a great deal. So, um, Paul says in Philippians, I plead with Euodia, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Whose mind is that? Whose mind does he want them to be in accord with together? It's the mind of Christ, isn't it? We have the mind of Christ. And the ultimate example of that, which we won't study now, but you can look up, is Philippians chapter 2. Being of the same mind as Christ, having the same heart as Christ, that heart of sacrifice and of love, of humility, of I want what's best for you. That's how Jesus came in Philippians chapter 2, in love and humility. So unity is not about agreeing on the correct program for church. Unity is not about agreeing about, I don't know, uh, where, where the next church planting should be. It's not about that. It's not about paradigms of leadership. It's about holding Christ at the center and treating one another with love and acting in humility towards one another. Again, to give you another quote from the uh, book by Francis Cham, many times huge divisions come between people who can sign the same doctrinal statement but can't agree on the same methodology. If we divide over methodology, we have seriously lost the plot. Jesus never was focused on his methodology. It was much more about the transformation of the heart and then the love of God being real and us sharing in that and working together for the kingdom priorities that he taught. So how do we be united as disciples of Jesus? A couple of quick thoughts and then we'll wrap up and take the Lord's Supper together because the Lord's Supper is one of the things that's most significant to our unity. We take of the one body, drink of the one cup in a sense. Uh, it seems to me that to be united in any group here, we have to be minimalist about what we expect to be unified on. Minimalism is a really helpful thing, I think, in this regard. When the early church had its struggles in Acts chapter 15, when, when some Gentile Christians were trying, were, uh, when some Jewish Christians were trying to persuade the Gentile Christians, you must be circumcised or you can't be a Christian. They had a big conference in Jerusalem. We could talk more about that another time, but immense amount of effort and time and money went into that with people traveling internationally, effectively in those days, at long distances. I mean, it was, a, it was a really challenging thing to do to meet as a council in Jerusalem. And they came to the conclusion, they, many conclusions, but the main thing they came to the conclusion was, of was some things that they uh, said that weren't and were necessary. Circumcision is not necessary. These things are important, at least at this point in time. Seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to uh, just the following requirements, not much. Big, big conference. You could have brought out a lot of different uh, uh, things from it, but no. Abstain from food sacrificed to idols. 
from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid those things. That's it. That's not much. I mean, I'd have been tempted to write a dissertation, you know, or even a booklet. Yes, a booklet. Let's write a booklet. Let's, no, let's put on an online course together. Just a few things, minimalist. When we start adding a lot of things to our list of things we must be unified on that aren't core doctrine, again, I think we're really missing the point. Staying focused on Jesus, being minimalist in our expectations of what it means to be unified in Christ. The second part of this, I think, is to do what you can. Oh, yes, uh, we are. So we're called to be peacemakers, by the way. We're called to be peacemakers, which means being active. You notice there's a big difference between the word peacekeeper and peacemaker. We're not called to be peacekeepers. Let's just keep the peace, be quiet, don't say anything. We're called to be peacemakers. That means being active. And uh, Romans 12, I think, is very helpful with this because there are limits to what we are actually able to do. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you. Those are helpful, aren't they? Because they're about real life. You might try, excuse me, you might try to make peace, uh, but it doesn't always work. You and I need to have a clear conscience that we've done our best. We've been active at making peace so that there is unity in our groups locally. So let me share a few examples from my own life um, just to finish off with and share these I hope as a way to provide some examples maybe of ways we can think about our own particular challenges in the area of unity because it's my experience as a Christian of some years that unity is one of the very hardest things to maintain. It's easier to neglect it and be busy as a Christian because it's not hard to be busy as a Christian. But unity is really important. So unity is made more difficult when we avoid difficult conversations. I am a conflict avoider. Hate conflict. Makes me break out in a rash. Honestly, I do, I'd far, I'd do as many things I'd rather do than have any conflict with anybody. But when we avoid difficult conversations, bad things happen. 15 years ago or so, I was in uh, Northwest London. I was in a leadership team, great leadership team. Andrew Agabak, Bodhi Elisami, Lola Wishambiyi, um, our wives, a uh, great group. Uh, long friends, good, good trust, relationships, you know, good stuff. And uh, something, something came up in another meeting somewhere else, and I was meant to bring back some proposal for the group to discuss. And I, I didn't. Because I really thought, this just need, we just need to do this. We don't need to discuss it. We just need to do it. I know it's the right thing to do. So I don't really need to discuss it with the rest of my leadership team. We'll just, um, we'll just get on with it because it's good and it makes sense and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> of course, deep in my heart, I knew that at least a couple of the people in the team might have a different opinion. And they may not disagree with the ultimate decision, but I knew that th that was going to be a difficult conversation. So I didn't have that conversation. And lo and behold, if one of the, I forget who it was, one of the 
chaps in the group, Bode Ololo, I think, somehow found out about this because truth has a habit of coming out. And he found out about it and we had this really difficult meeting. I still remember, do you know, like sometimes you remember the details of things that happened a long time ago because you, because the emotions involved. I remember where I was sitting. I remember where they were sitting. I remember which room it was in Lolu's house, the front room. I mean, I remember the, because I, I, they'd caught me out basically. I've been found out. They, they actually weren't upset about the decision. I think we ended up agreeing with it, but they were very upset that I didn't trust them love them enough to say this is the thing we need to discuss and to and, and to allow the conversation to go on i'm deeply embarrassed about that to this day praise god they forgave me uh, we're friends you know we're still friends it's funny you can have this conflict and be be friends let me ask you are there some difficult conversations that you're avoiding it's a unity killer it's a unity killer. Second, second thought I'd like to offer you is sometimes there are warning signs and you know them, but you're not dealing with them because you've got a different agenda. So when the Watford Church started a few years ago now, uh, we had our leaders meetings in Charlotte Bromwood's house. And, uh, and we, as, as Charlotte Bromwood, me and Penny and uh, Danny and Becky Makinson, some of you may know, six of us. And I really wanted to, to make this go well. We just started the church, I was organized, I had an agenda for our leaders meetings, I sent it out in advance, I printed it out, I brought copies, last, the minutes from the last meeting. I mean, I wanted to make sure we did things properly, right? I turned up with my agenda. And, uh, and then Bromwyn and I had some tension. And for the life of me, I can't remember what it was about. I mean, it was a few years ago, point isn't the issue. Well, there was some tension between us. And I wanted to press on with the agenda. We've got an agenda. This is important stuff. This is about the church. We're supposed to be the leadership team. We need to deal with these items. There's questions here and things to sort out and, and, and arrange and organize. And you know, we really need to do this. And so I'm like, no, let's, uh, I'm in a bit of tension here, but let's, uh, let's go on with this. And Charles, bless him, said, um, don't think there's much point in talking about the agenda if we're not okay. And I felt that moment of, yeah, I, I know he's right. It's a bit similar to the difficult conversation, except this time, it was just that feeling of tension. I wasn't paying attention to it. Is there any tension in your relationships you're not paying attention to? If we don't pay attention, it will kill our unity. Third example. i got four. I've got two more examples. Because they're slightly different. Gossip will kill unity. About 15 or more years ago now, when I was in, a, I was in London and, and doing some of the different things, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm ashamed to say that I listened far too much to what I now understand was gossip about my very good friend, Douglas Jacobi. I've known Doug since the day I was baptized, over, well, almost 40 years. I owe him a great debt. But at that time, there were a lot, of, there was a lot of confusion about various things in our church context. And I had some people around me who were effectively feeding me gossip about him. And I'm ashamed to say I listened to it. And I allowed it to, to distance me from Doug. And it, it, it didn't break our relationship, but it significantly damaged it over a number of years. God is gracious, and so is Doug. 
And so that got repaired and we're best buddies and all is good. But for a number of years, I allowed the gossip to separate me from my brother. More directly here, I, I did at times listen to some of the gossip about Thames Valley before I was here. Too much. Because one of the tricky things about gossip is there's usually some truth in it. Usually, right? And so you think there's some truth in this, there's some truth in this, but, but do you really know? Has it damaged my relationship with Tim and Chevy, amongst other things? Grateful for the forgiveness and the mercy. Gossip will, will, will kill unity. Have you been listening to some gossip? Or even worse, spreading it. In, in the fellowship. It'll kill unity. Uh, final example. Sometimes you've got to give up your rights so that a group can do what God wants it to do. And just, it, we can't always agree on everything, right? But if we have relational trust, we can go along with a direction that we wouldn't choose. We can see it's not ungodly, but we wouldn't choose it. And we can go with that if we have built our unity, our relationships in a godly way. And the example I'd share with that is that some of you will know this, but some may not, that we started the church in Watford a few years ago, and then two years ago, a local congregation asked us to take over their congregation, to move in to their building and take over. Um, a sort of evangelical Baptist group. And it's a long story. I won't tell you all that now. You can talk to me afterwards if you like. We took that to the congregation. We had a lot of discussions. We prayed. We fasted about it. Uh, we talked about it in our leadership team. We talked about it with the entire congregation. And uh, you know, over a period of time, several months, and at the end of that time, I felt like, it's my opinion, I felt like uh, I think the spirit is at work here. That's what I think. And I think we should make this move from our current venue into their venue and sort of just take over and, and do that. Uh, the majority of the congregation felt similarly. But there were at least two, three, maybe four people who didn't feel that. And they were honest about that and said that. They said, we, we don't feel the same way. We're not sure it is from God. We're not sure it's good for us or for them. Maybe there's another solution we haven't explored. But if the rest of the congregation feel like that's what is the best thing to do, we will go along with it, and we will go along with it wholeheartedly, which I really appreciated they said that. And they have. So we're now in this other situation, and I actually haven't checked up what their opinion is recently. Must do that. You know, has their opinion changed or not? I actually don't know exactly. I think I know, but I haven't asked that specific question. But they have wholeheartedly thrown themselves into it, used their gifts to serve, not been passive and sat at the back with their arms folded like, I knew this wasn't a good idea. You know, that, and that humility is, is incredible because it's a disputable matter, right? They don't have to agree. And I don't have any right to, to make them agree. But that spirit is right. So I, there's a push and a pull here somewhere between your, the individual sort of like, I need to be heard and I need to have... I need to speak what I'm saying, and I, and then there's also this part of, but I, I've really got to think about Jesus and God's will for the group more than my preference when it's a disputable matter. Oh, I leave that with you to wrestle with, because that's not something that's easy to uh, explain or deal with uh, in a context like this. So, wrapping up. Okay, I mentioned that. Okay, warning signs. Uh, 
difficult conversations, gossip, and uh, sometimes we need to give up our rights. Here's the thing. Unity is never finished. It's not like you can put it in a box and stick it on the shelf and say, this church has achieved complete unity. We're done with that. It doesn't work like that. The question is, what can you and I do to promote unity? What will motivate you to pursue unity? What might you do today or this week to enhance, to grow, to maintain, to develop, to deepen your unity in your local, your local group? I'm going to do two, two teaching classes this month, which I'll put online, uh, which you can use in family groups if you like. It's going to be a theme for the month, and they'll be hopefully useful. I'm going to finish by reading from Ephesians chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there with me. And this will take us into the Lord's Supper. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read selected sections from verse 11. So, actually from verse 12. At, the, at one time, we were separate from Christ. All of us were separate. Excluded from citizenship, Israel. Foreigners to the covenant, without hope, without God. But in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near brought near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. We're united in him. He's made two groups one, Jew and Gentile, destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. One. That's his dream. That's his goal. That's his aim in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. He preached peace to you far away, peace to those who are near. We both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. So we're no longer foreigners and aliens from Hong Kong, Ukraine, wherever, not in Christ. We're fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household. It's a family here, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The whole building's joined together, rises to become a holy temple. And in him, you, in your group, are being built together, united, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And when he does live in the dwelling of the church by his spirit, the world notices. The world notices. God gets the glory, and that glory shines, and the world sees it. And as we often say here, the Christian life isn't complicated, but it is hard sometimes. And unity is hard work. And I'd encourage us to not shrink from that because it's how God gets glory and it's how the world will come to know of God and be drawn to him. We'll take some bread and wine now to celebrate and remember what Christ has done for us and the price of this unity. So we're going to have a prayer. Yes, please. We're going to be prayed for, and then we're going to sing a song for you, some of us, and then we'll have a song congregation.